Welcome to the Love and Grace podcast. My name is Joel. I have got our guest in studio today, Thea Suspiris. Hello. And then online, we have got Bill Vanderbush. Hey guys, good Bill, to be with you. Bill Vanderbush has been, wow, a big, big catalyst in changing our oh, point yeah. of view of oh my goodness <laughs> of of law and christianity to love and grace mm-hmm. and bill uh, wow uh where first off where's where's home right now i'm in uh, celebration florida celebrations the town that disney built about 30 years ago and uh picture a town that you think disney would build the thing you got going on in your mind that looks like a movie set not quite real that's celebration great place though okay well i'm going to jump right into the the regular questions when we have have someone new on i like to you know give some good um good background good understanding of where that person's coming from and i'm just going to start off with bill where uh did you grow up in a christian home i did actually my parents were missionaries slash evangelists so i lived all over the world and i grew up at a time where revival meetings weren't just, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they were three and four weeks long. So my parents went from one revival meeting to the next, which meant I was in church almost every night. And then um, uh, my parents got married older. So, uh, so I came along at a time and they were just, I mean, they wanted to keep the family small. So I have no siblings, which meant I was in um, not just church every night, uh, but I was in hours and hours of conversations every day, listening to people talk about the scriptures and talk about the word of God and talk about what's going on in the world. So that was my environment growing up. And, and I did not realize at the time that I was getting an education, you know. Uh, so by the time I got to college, to Bible college, uh, I would say in the, in the years of Bible college or seminary, barely scratched the surface of what I picked up just growing up in my parents' home. So that was, that was my life. So growing up in a Christian home, did you, do you remember the time that you accepted Jesus into your life? Talking about the most recent time or no, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, I I remember, I actually remember, uh, I, I couldn't tell you a date or a time, you know, to a kid one day is the same as the next. But uh, I was in a it was in a revival meeting, and I remember my dad gave an altar call in the evening, and I remember saying that I wanted to I wanted to receive Christ, or I wanted to say yes to Jesus. Well, my mom had already prayed with me to receive Jesus at home and stuff, but you know, I was just so persuaded in that moment. Um, again, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I will say that uh, my parents became part of a large church in Houston. They they started out Wesleyan Methodist and so did not necessarily believe in the gifts or the baptism of the Holy Spirit as Pentecostals uh, would, but uh, they had a radical encounter with God in Florida uh, and and had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and healing started happening in Dad's meeting. So he knew that something had taken place that had sort of leveled him up a little bit. And from there we were in Houston, Texas, and uh, I was in a church there, and I remember in that. In that church service, there was a a children's pastor that started talking about the Holy Spirit and um, prayed with kids to receive the Holy Spirit. And I uh, started speaking in you know uh, uh, speaking in tongues, speaking in a language I didn't fully understand. Certainly didn't understand what was going on, but I do remember the joy. I remember the joy I felt. I remember the dream I had that night. Um, I, again, I don't know what time or day that was, but I can tell you at the time I was five years old. So whenever I accepted Christ or gave my, gave my life to the Lord or turned my life over to Jesus, it was prior to five. It's, uh, received the Holy spirit or age five. And then, and then, you know, from that point on, you start, the older you get, you start questioning soteriology. Like the first time that you, you walk away from an altar after crying and repenting of sin and you feel super clean for about 10 minutes and then, um, then you have a thought or something, or you, you, you know, you, something happens, and you're just like, "Oh no, I feel less pure than I did ten minutes ago." And you're thinking, "I got to run back to the altar to get this all right." And oh my goodness, so, so that really led on a on a just a wild lifelong search uh, to to just come to rest in the reconciled 
union with with the with the grace of God. Um, I've heard a lot about your dad. Can you tell me um, a few stories of traveling with your dad that were very <laughs> odd in comparison to what you've heard from other people traveling with their parents? My dad was a strange, wonderful man. He was my hero. Um, he led more people to Christ than anybody I've ever known. Uh, in terms of the, the ability to sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody and just share the gospel with them to, uh, to just lead somebody into a place where they're introduced to Jesus. He was, he was masterful at it and it was his greatest delight. And I, I understand that. I get that. I share that, that passion. The, um, uh, I guess the time when my dad accepted the Holy spirit or got, had, got filled with the baptism of the Holy spirit, we were in St. Cloud, Florida, and dad was doing a revival at a Nazarene church in St. Cloud. Church is still there, by the way. And they still talk about this revival like 37 years later. And dad, uh, it's been uh, 40, 41 years, 40, 41, 42 years ago. My dad um, and mom saw a cafe downtown called the Praise the Lord Cafe. And the pastor told the, my, my dad, don't go in that cafe. It's of the devil. And my dad thought, oh, man, I'm, now I'm super curious. I got to check this place out. <laughs> so, uh, you know, praise the Lord cafe. Like, so he walks in, and immediately the owner, um, who was real prophetic, uh, noticed that there was just an incredible grace on my dad's life. And so he, uh, he opted to um, basically – prophesy over him ministered to him just just uh just read his mail he and my mom both and they ended up having this radical encounter with the holy spirit both of them speaking in tongues and then uh that night my dad got up to preach i remember sitting on a on the 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 bench the pew the church pew there at the end of the church pew there was a guy that was sitting there and he had been i guess in a motorcycle accident and he had a back brace on he looked kind of robotic and he kind of freaked me out. And so I remember, you know, kind of huddling up next to my mom because this guy with all this contraption on him was there. That's kind of what makes this moment stand out. My dad gets up to preach that night and uh, he determined he, he didn't know what to, to call this thing of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So he just decided just to, uh, you know, just kind of roll with whatever the Holy Spirit did that night. But he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And so my dad's in the middle of preaching and he was machine, man. He could just go. And he, uh, he, in the middle of his sermon stops and said later on, he heard a voice say to him out loud, stop. I want to heal somebody. And my dad says out loud on the microphone, how do you want to do it? And what he heard the Lord say is <laughs> have these people grip their Bibles and you pray and I'll heal. And oddly enough, that was, that was a, that was a formula that never, it was never meant to be a, a, a principle that just, you know, that they used all the time. It was a, it was just a point of contact in that moment to just listen in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. And so dad says that he says, God wants to heal somebody he says this out loud to the congregation. God wants to heal somebody. If you grip your Bibles, I'm going to pray and God's going to heal you. And people got healed all over the room, including the guy in the back brace at the end of the, of the row, took the brace off and started running around the church saying, I'm healed, I'm healed. And so, uh, you know, that was, they were kind of off to the races at that. That tells the story one time where, where he went to a meeting and uh, the pastor of the church did not believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit, healing. I mean, he was... Uh, just real antagonistic to it. But at that time, when you invited somebody in, they were kind of part of the circuit, you know, the circuit of, uh, of the denomination, the Wesleyan and Nazarene denomination sort of had a circuit of evangelists. They were, and churches were expected to put these people to work when they came into town. And dad comes to uh, this one church and the pastor is really, really against some of the things he's heard are disturbing. And dad said, what do I do? And like, Lord, should, should I stay here? And the Lord said, stay uh, I'm going to do a work in this church and he's not even going to know about it. And, and dad would start, dad would start preaching in the evening and the guy would fall asleep. Like the guy would literally pass out just sitting up there, you know, and, and people would get healed, delivered, saved, all kinds of crazy stuff. And the guy would sleep, the pastor would sleep the whole time. And dad just thought, this is the work of the Lord. I'm not going to wake him up. 
And when all of the mayhem kind of died down, you know, and lift up the bodies off the floor, I mean, all that stuff, the guy would wake up as if nothing had happened. This went on night after night. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I, I, you know, people were like, well, is God going to knock people out? I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, I've never heard of that happening before or since, but um, he used to laugh about that. He thought it was the craziest thing. He says, you know, could you imagine the pastor <laughs> falls asleep on the front row where for the next hour, the message is preached and dad was not a quiet preacher, man. He didn't need a microphone. And, uh, and yet, you know, all this amazing stuff is going on around him. He wakes up and he has no idea. And of course, nobody's filming anything back then. And, and all he has to do is hear about it. But, I, I don't know. I don't know who that was or what God did in his heart, but I was always that story always caught me funny. But there's hundreds of things mm -hmm. like that. I mean, down through the years, Dad was just a he was a walking testimony machine. He always had some miracle happening. It's the big deal. As you moved out of your parents' home, what what was that one thing that really kept you? Either kept you um, in in that. Uh, the vein of Christianity, understanding this is this is something I need to pursue on my own versus, hey, that's what mom and dad are doing. Or was it was it so apparent your entire life growing up in your family with your family? Well, you know, witnessing witnessing or soul winning was always such a big part of everything we did that I was always engaged in conversations with people who had a completely different belief system. And I never in my life in my entire life, all my 40, 47 years have seen a viable alternative. In other words, I've never seen a better message, a better gospel, a better savior, a more personal, real God. Um, uh, you know, every religion I've ever studied um, it, on earth, every religion I've ever studied always tells me what I have to do to get close to God. Only in Christ do I find what God has done to get close to me. I find uh, in Christ the reality of a God who saved us single-handedly, didn't need my help at all, that he fully did it 100%. And, uh, and, and all, uh, my contribution to my salvation was my faithlessness and apostasy and sin. That's what I bring to the table. And he takes all of that and gives me his grace and his righteousness and his peace. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So if somebody says, you know, what's your contribution to, to your salvation, your sin, your apostasy, your, your messed up ideas, your faithlessness. That's, that's, that's our contribution. That's all we bring to the table. That's it. And, uh, uh, you cannot bring sin to any other uh, God, little G God, anywhere on earth to any other uh, belief system and be accepted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There, that's, that doesn't fly. You have to work to get rid of, of what's wrong in order to, it, to get enlightened or have access to, and I'm like, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, that's not as, it's not a better message than the gospel of Christ. Were there times that I questioned it? Yes. There were times I explored every religion I could think of to explore. So I wanted to make sure that I was actually like, I, I did want to make sure that the faith that I was hanging on to was not just something that I had inherited from my parents and was keeping up tradition. I didn't want, yeah. I want to make sure that it wasn't tradition. It was truth. That was the big deal. And, and so that's the conclusion I've come to is, so I've never found my, I've never found myself questioning because I've never found a viable alternative. Okay. Um, I, another story I, I want to hear the, um, so we're fast forwarding to you're a pastor and you're, you're talking, um, you, you told me a story, you told us a story about a time you, I believe you just done some remodeling in your church and stuff's going on and something happens in the church and you you say this is going to ruin everything can you can you oh the talk rain about, yeah, yeah yeah talk about that story yeah that wasn't even a remodel that was a brand new building we had just okay. built it uh this is one of the reasons why i think it's true and and that's this story and um this one includes my dad my dad had come to the church after we built it and uh um we were using the phrase a lot of times at the time everything with excellence. And uh, my dad shows up to the church and he says, 
uh, man, Bill, you guys are excellent. You don't, you don't even need the Holy Spirit to show up and you can still do church. And I suddenly realized we were, we, we, we had done something. We had done something. Uh, we violated something here. And, um, and my, um, my, I guess, seeker sensitive self at the time said, uh, I said, I, I've got to somehow uh, pursue and go after more of the supernatural power of God. So we're going to have prayer meetings up at the church. And I thought to myself, okay, that, that's, that's what I've got to do. I've, I've, I've got to, I got to get everybody up there praying. And so I, uh, uh, on a Saturday afternoon, we were standing there in the sanctuary and I said, uh, said, Lord, send the rain of your presence. I'm just standing there with my eyes closed. God, send the rain of your presence. Uh, and, uh, the, um, Something happened and water started falling off the ceiling. I felt a drop of water on my arm at first. And I look around, I'm like, what is going on? Right over our head, there is a wet spot and it's growing and it covered the entire sanctuary, front to back, side to side. And it literally is like raining all over the building. And I, I couldn't figure that out. That was, that was, I got mad actually. I got really angry because it was ruining our chairs, our carpet, our sound system. And the staff started scrambling to get plastic to cover stuff up so that it wouldn't get ruined. And I said out loud, I said, this is bad. This is wrong. This is going to ruin everything. So then I ran out to the car to call the, the building contractor to somehow um, tell him to come in and take a look at our building here because um, uh, the I thought, man, this is, this is not cool. Uh, so, uh, when I walk outside, my son who was 10 at the time is following me outside and he notices that there's not a cloud in the sky. And he says, dad, look, it's dry outside, but it's raining in the sanctuary. And I just stopped and thought, Oh my goodness, what have I done? And I felt the Holy spirit say to me, if I pour out on this church, what you've asked me for the same response you just had will be the same response the church has or all these people have. And that is, this is bad. This is wrong. And this is going to ruin everything. I realized at that point that there was a measure of the things of God that required me to give up my right to understand what was going on. So I could, uh, I had pursued the things of God to gain first gain understanding and in hopes that understanding would build my faith. But Hebrews 11 says by faith, we understand it doesn't say by understanding we have faith by faith. We understand the worlds are framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear, but it's the idea that faith comes first. Then faith leads us into uh, an element of risk faith. You could spell faith R I S K Faith leads us into an element of risk that leads us into an experience that leads to an encounter that may lead to understanding. And then the application of that understanding ultimately is what leads to wisdom. But it's, it's a, um, there's a process to gaining understanding and you don't get understand uh, faith because you have understanding. You get pride because you have understanding without faith. You get, you get faith uh, first that you say yes to the faith of God first, and then he leads you into experiences that bring you understanding. So that's what we did. That's, that's it. That was the journey that, uh, that we went on that took us to where we are now, I guess, to what we're doing now. But yeah, that rain in the sanctuary thing was crazy. Actually, it dried up in a very, very short amount of time, like 15, 20 minutes. And um, uh, it was, I mean, it was there and it covered the building or the inside of the sanctuary and then it was gone it was just the weird it was to this day one of the weirdest things i've ever ever witnessed and i missed it that's that's a it's an embarrassing thing to admit but i missed it i didn't realize it was a spiritual thing at the time wow just hearing every time i hear those the, the stories of of the supernatural um manifestations of some sort it's just it it messes with your mind to a point it's like oh it's just what a bunch of people were saying but when you come at it from the point of view you were you're seeing it as a physical thing and it it yeah 
and your understanding at the time is this is this is ruining everything. This is this is not right. So just yeah. just seeing seeing those things and seeing that you were processing it the same way and understanding that in the end it was supernatural. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> the something I've learned uh, learned from you and a lot of other uh, ministers is that the supernatural is not something that is so off there in this sense. Oh, maybe we'll 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 reach out and and get to the supernatural at some point, or something that we can strive to reach for. But God intended us to live in that nature. That was our nature. We were to live in that and we have dumbed down our normality to only the things we can feel and touch and and physically move so it's it's really interesting to to get into that mindset of there's so much more that we are just suppressing i i there's a a thought i was listening to a song i don't it wasn't i think it was a song by red and saying something about I can't feel feel you anymore, talking about God. And it got me mm -hmm. thinking, to our brain, the way our brain is designed, it is designed to suppress um, unimportant information. Like right now, the feeling of your socks on your feet is suppressed by your brain. It's not something that you, unless someone who's watching or listening right now is just yeah, until, you say, it, until you say something. Right, right, until you say something. Now that you mentioned it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's um that's something that is your brain suppresses. And I've gotten to the realize I heard that line in the song, it's like, I can't feel you anymore. Is it possible that you can't feel him anymore because he you, you just you know, ignored him long enough that he's still there talking, he's saying something, it's just it, you're suppressing it. It's not God not reaching you. Absolutely. It's you suppressing mm -hmm. it. It brings up a great point because you cannot get closer to God than you already are right now. I mean, yeah, he is in right. you. He holds you together on a molecular level. He holds you together by the power of his word or the resonant frequency of heaven. It's the song of heaven that literally holds us together on a molecular level. That that God that created and formed you by his word and by his will has chosen to take up residence in you by his doing. First Corinthians one thirty says you are in Christ in Christ is the very nature of in him. We live and move and have our being. It is our identity. It's the core of our identity and it transcends race, gender, nationality and social status. That being in Christ united with him. You're one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not God. You're, there's a distinction, but you are one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did that. That realization, I can't change uh, my proximity to God. I can only turn down and increase or decrease my awareness of that proximity or closeness. Right. That's the only thing that needs to, if there's anything that needs to change, that's why the renewing of the mind is so important because the renewing of the mind can prove what is a good, acceptable and perfect will of God. It means I turn my heart, my affection, my attention toward his presence. And then I get a revelation of his mind, his heart, his, in, his intentions, his purposes. I'm essentially saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you going? Let me come into alignment and agreement with that, with my very life and my being. And we do that, then we become living displays of his eternal rule. We become a living invitation to um, to a, a living invitation for other people to have an, a, a relationship and intimacy with with the Lord. And so uh, the kingdom, it, it is us. We are the kingdom of God. That's Revelation chapter five. We are the kingdom. Not is not just in us. It is. It is us. And uh, so when we pray things like, God, let your kingdom come, we're just praying for ourselves. We're praying for the authentic nature of who he is to be manifest in us, that all of him would just be flowing unhindered through all of us. And so the only thing that can grow in us, the only thing is an awareness of that closeness, that proximity, that reconciliation. Uh, we have, we have, uh, I would say people would say, how would you explain that in one phrase? You have one assignment in this life, just one. And that is to discover what God believes and agree with that. That's it. Um, and so 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I, I think we, we get to choose like, let's say like this. I don't think we fully understand the power of our belief or unbelief, belief or alignment or unbelief being out of alignment with the heart of God. We get to choose what we think about. We get to choose what we dwell on. And um, that's why Paul said, you know, in Philippians said, whatever things are true, lovely, just, uh, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, so on and so forth. Think on these things. Well, because he knows it's possible for us to think about something else. And if I turn my attention away from the things of God, then I've given my affection to something else because whatever has your attention has your affection. And you're right. I think all of the, um, to borrow some computer terminology, all of the RAM gets, gets spent on, on the, on the application that's open at the moment, you know, and we like to think we have a lot of other things running in the background, but for many people, you know, the presence of the Lord has been running in the background for a long time. And pretty soon we're giving no memory to it at all. We're giving no, uh, you know, none of our hard drive is, is going toward it at all. And so it's as if it's not there. And then people pretty much go, I, you know, I don't even, I don't believe that anymore. Well, they've given their attention to something else. Whatever has your attention has your affection. So Colossians 3, Paul said it like a number of different ways. Set your mind, your affection, set your heart on things above, not on things of the earth. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely think we, we have to prioritize um, the presence of God uh, to, to stay aware of what he's doing. Uh, we don't we don't do well when we multitask between light and darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to bring Theus in on this. So, because Theus is Theus has been quiet up to this point. Um, let's <laughs> let's. You've been uh, getting the discussion, so I'm allowing you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to bring in the connection of how we. Uh, came into an understanding and and uh, a relationship with you and understanding that connection. So um, Theus and I are in a, a worship band called mm -hmm. Made For More. Mm -hmm. um, we we have a, a friend who at the time lived over in Cambridge, Ohio, mm -hmm. Ronnie Barker. Um, he he was he went on a, a one of our 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 trips where we played played somewhere and when we um, on when we got back, he's like, "Oh, you've got to, you've got to, you, you've got to come and play for this event coming up in April." It's like, okay. I mean, we all it's like, oh, yeah, sure. We love, we love playing places. We love sharing the love of God and worship. Mm -hmm. So um, we had no idea. Mm -hmm. We had absolutely no idea. It's like it's a prophetic conference. Like, okay, yay, prophetic. We know that. We understand that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we go, we go out to this um out to this church we had visited once or twice before yeah. mm -hmm. but this time was you know it was a conference we we're we we're mm -hmm. playing for a conference mm -hmm. so we're right. we're there uh we set up we practice our first first uh set and everything and probably about 15 minutes or 30 minutes before service starts we go uh theus leads us all into one of the one of the back rooms of the of the church where we we do a little pray and and get make sure we're all in tune and get going mm -hmm. and we come out and we're sitting there just just next to the soundboard the sound booth and there is this guy who comes in the back door and we're okay we were a little drunk. Yeah, we were. We were a little yeah, spiritually we're, drunk yeah, coming out coming out of our <laughs> our uh, pre worship worship service. <laughs> yeah. And people, I want I want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get I want to get Theus as a lead on this, but I definitely want to hear hear your point of view of of that total event, uh, Bill. And but yeah, Theus, go ahead and tell us what was going on. But yeah, it was. I don't know, like from my faith, like uh, I knew there was something beyond what I've been taught. Um, um, you, you know it in your spirit, like when you've experienced God, when you had this one-on-one um, -on -one experience with the Holy Spirit, like you know when the message is correct, like you you know the gospel message. Mm -hmm. So I remember, um, yeah, 
meeting Bill, uh, like in the little the back, and like when I hugged him, I was like, "It's like I've known you for forever," and we probably have. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just people. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's just it was just so good, and yeah, like it just felt like family. It felt like you've you've known one another for so long, just a kindred spirit. Um, and it just felt so great. Like it felt like the, there's such a connection that was built, not just this kind of kind of surface level connection, but like a true deep connection that you know that you can trust one another, you know? And I remember we did the worship set. Uh, the worship set was great. Um, and then this man started speaking and I was like, oh my gosh, what are these words? Like I've never heard the gospel uh, enunciated so well in my entire lifetime like I, it just it just felt right in my spirit like I've heard the gospel message where it's about um, you know we're, we're sinners saved by grace yeah. and Bill would just share like um, just such such profound things and like the thing that like got me was you know I kind of heard it uh, a good amount but not in the way that Bill said it, that, yeah, um, it's kind of like where you know, God didn't come to save sinners, to you know, to make or to, for for bad people to be good, but for them to be alive, like, yeah. and that was wow. just that was just like <laughs> for for people for for people that are dead to become alive, and I'm like, that's it, that's because yeah. when I was saved, I, I didn't really kind of I knew that I did bad stuff but I knew in my heart that I was missing something I knew deep in my heart that am I just gonna go to work am I just gonna do all these I think we've discussed this in our first podcast yeah that's worth checking out by the way yeah but yeah it's like is this it is this the life like I mean I have is is that it I mean, I do bad things, I do good things, I go to heaven. Is that kind of just it? Um, but, yeah, wow. but like feeling alive, feeling full, feeling like I don't have to worry so much that God can fulfill me. Like the way Bill um, projected that, it's like hearing the gospel again and getting joy. Mm. You know? Wow. It, it's those type of experiences where you're like, yep, this is it. <laughs> Praise God. Like this is, this, this is the direction. Like, so like, yeah, it's been like when we were in the youth group, it's been such a journey, like getting to this place and like hearing like different gospel messages and leading up to, um, especially with Bill's message. It's like, ah, yeah, this that, is, this is Jesus's message, you know? Yeah. That was such a, I don't, I don't want to say like a hard right turn, but it was yeah. so completely different from what we had learned up to that point and understood it's like, oh God, and yeah, he loves you and all this. And, but <laughs> yeah. And, and up to, up until that point, like we've been really experimenting and really searching for God and trusting the Holy Spirit. We would go out and minister. We've never done that before. We've gone out and cast out a demon. We've never de- done that before. We're just asking God to do th- these different things. And we ask God, like, is it love? Just just go ahead and do it. And it was just amazing, like, this path of just trusting God and um, hearing, like, this is mm-hmm. the way it should be. Like, it, it's so affirming to us as believers, like, trusting God with everything you mm-hmm. know, in our walk. Yeah, Bill, what... Um... What do you remember from that that uh, conference? I remember, I remember being on the floor a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I remember it, it was a it was a beautiful time because when you find when you find people of like of like uh, passion that is that passion for freedom, for just the freedom of the Lord and and that joy. It's a healing joy. It's a, it's a joy that just dismantles anxiety and oppression. And I mean, it's the thing that we need now more than anything right now. This, this world needs an explosion of that anxiety killing 
joy. I mean, just we just do. And so, yeah, I remember that. That was a beautiful, it was just a really, really beautiful time. And the worship, worship always makes the, the meetings so much easier, you know, like, uh, not the kind of worship that makes me feel like I got to strive for something, but, but it's the kind of, the kind of thing that, um, pulls you into a place of surrender to the heart of the Lord and, uh, just to see him, you know, I think once he's seen, you know, it's like, it's like when I got married, you know, when I saw my wife, nobody had to tell me what to do. Um, you know, uh, when, when you see the one you love, nobody has to tell you what to do. You just respond. And, uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that room was beautiful at night. It was, <laughs> it was filled with people who just, you know, caught a glimpse of the gaze of the face of the Lord and nobody has to, you know, really tell you what to do at that point. You just, you're off to the races. And it's so great when you get, mm-hmm. when you get a gathering of people around that are like that, you know, like David said in the Psalms, I'll magnify the Lord with me. You know, it's like he was looking mm-hmm. for somebody. Mm-hmm. So, does anybody else think that God's as big as I do? It's yeah. a magnify. That's, that's, can we just like, can we try to exaggerate his goodness? Can we try to exaggerate his wonder? Uh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's, let's just expand our perspective. How do you see, you know, from your perspective, what do you see? And, uh, and I feel like I was in a room that night with a bunch of people who just expanded my perspective of the goodness of God. So it's easy to preach in that kind of an environment, you know, teach the gospel, but I don't, I don't ever, I, I, there's some things, (laughs) but I don't ever know exactly what's going to happen, you know, and that was, that was a special night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many years of meetings, you know, certain things stand out as, as, yeah. a, as pivotal. And, and that was definitely yeah. one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember there was one thing you said, like, God's better than you think. And I, I remember like wrapping my yeah. head around that. And yeah, it was just like, yeah, we try to wrap God into our understanding where he's much bigger than our understanding. Like right. if, the, if the gospel message is good news, we don't have to put any bad news with it. It has to be much better than what's going on right now in the world. You know, like it has to stand alone by itself. So it has to be so good. It has to be. There's no comparison. So many people have made the gospel an ultimatum, but it's, it's an Mm. invitation to a celebration. That's why it's good news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, the phrase that, you're alluding to has a second part to it where it says God is better than you think. And then I, then I added this part to it. That yeah. says, and, and you can't imagine him better than he is. And I've yeah. over the years, I enjoy the kickback I get on them that because people will <laughs> say, well, I've got a really, really heavy imagination. Like I'm at, I can imagine some real goodness. And I was told, tell me, tell me some goodness that you can imagine that would actually be an error or inaccurate toward the nature of mm. God's yeah. character or what he's capable of doing. It's interesting because yeah. if people really try to do that, uh, and every, everyone, every person who's ever, ever actually done that exercise with me and said, okay, this is what I imagine. I can give you a scripture to back up what you just said and then, and then, and then raise the ante on it. So, you know, people get, people get really uncomfortable with that concept, but here's to me, we have to come to the end of our uh, of our drawing boundary lines on his goodness, because to me, that's a dangerous thing to do. And here's why. And that is, is if I can, if I can see the limit of the goodness of God, but I can imagine beyond that limit, then what I've subconsciously communicated to myself and listen to this, think of it like, just, just set this up again, because I feel like people are going to miss this, but this is really important. If I can say, okay, God is this good, this, this good, but he can't be any better than this right here. And yet I can, with my mind, imagine a better goodness beyond what I believe God is capable of. Then I've actually just, I have just actually told myself subconsciously that I, in my heart am actually better than I believe God has the ability to be. In other words, if I can imagine a goodness beyond what he's capable of, then if I had his power, I would be better. And I think that is yeah. actually mm-hmm. the core foundation of satanic thought. And mm-hmm. you find that rampant 
in the church. The problem is, is when we start thinking about the limits of the goodness of God, we're not looking for uh, an increased love or intimacy or relationship, which is what Christianity is all about. What we're looking for in those moments where we're like searching for the theological limits of the goodness of God is we are looking for theological conclusions. In other words, I want to, I need a theological position. Well, I don't have a theological position on my marriage. I, I love my wife yeah. I love with my wife. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't sit there like, you know, writing out theological, you know, stances or, you know, well, I believe this about my marriage, whatever. No, all of that is wrapped up in communication and conversation. It's very personal between she and I. It's, it's all, it's all, love doesn't necessarily have to be sat down and defined on paper. Yet the world is filled with books about theological positions or conclusions when it comes to God. And, and I tell you what, love, uh, one impact with the love of God, one encounter with the love of God would pretty much blow to smithereens all of our theological conclusions that limit that goodness. So people get really, people get really scared about it. They think, oh man, this is super dangerous, Bill. You know, you're going to start, start all kinds of heresy. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, it's not about drawing theological conclusions. That's never what this has been about. Those are fun academic conversations. But to me, it's about a relationship of intimacy with the heart of a God who by his very nature is love and is a consuming fire. So his consuming, passionate love really consumes everything in us that doesn't reflect that. And, uh, um, you know, you come to him willing to be consumed and he will consume even your theological conclusions or your concepts of him that you've held on to as a safety net. You know, the concepts that will, you know, uh, um, like, like here, here's, here's a concept. People will say, people will say, you know, well, I prayed for this person. They died. I prayed for this person to be healed. They weren't healed. I prayed for this to happen. It didn't happen. So therefore they have a scar on their soul that I call disappointment. And, um, and yet I believe in eternity, the God who created time has the ability to go back and re-record, re redo, remaster, remix all of the moments that we've ever lived that ultimately will produce in eternity uh, uh, perhaps a, a view of a life that we we actually lived as opposed to the one that we think we lived. It's almost like we're recording the demo, recording right now in eternity mm-hmm. to actually witness the final mastered mix. And, you know, if, if God doesn't have the ability to go back and redeem every moment of pain, loss, betrayal, destruction, and whatever that we've ever lived through, then that would make time stronger than the God that invented it. And uh, uh, his redemptive power has to have the ability to eliminate and erase every scar we've ever placed upon the calendar of history. Um, otherwise, so there's no way, there's no chance that the verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from yeah. us. That could not be possible if he could not go back and redeem our past. And he doesn't, yeah. I don't believe he does it just by eliminating it. I think he does it by rewriting it and giving us a chance to actually um, uh, uh, see how heaven views our life. I think uh, for biblical reference for this, you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you can see Abraham's wife, Sarah, who is in the hall of fame of faith. And the implication in that is that she heard the word of the Lord and believed God. It doesn't mention anything about her failure where the historical record says she heard the word of the Lord. She laughed at it and then came up with the worst idea in human history. So uh, apparently we got, we got a problem here because either the writer of Hebrews is lying, which calls the entire integrity of, of Scripture into question, or he's showing us a little bit behind the veil to show us how God actually views our life and how heaven records our history. And could it be that all of the wrongs that we have ever done aren't just eliminated, but they're actually remembered differently. And perhaps the way heaven remembers our reality is more real than the reality we think we lived. So I, I don't know. I just think redemption is that good. And, and here's the, here's the other part about it. I yeah. have no record of anybody. I can't find anybody, any place in the Bible where God ever came to anybody and said, stop telling people I'm that good. You're telling people I'm too good. He's never, ever, chastised anybody for misrepresenting his goodness 
He has chastised people for misrepresenting him in a way that doesn't actually yeah. reflect that goodness. But I just, you know, um, I don't think anybody's yeah. ever going to get to heaven and God go, you told people yeah. I was way too good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I like the, uh, the thought process you had, you explained with that one was, um, getting to heaven and finding out that, that heaven's not as good. It's like, oh, dang, I thought it was going to be like way up here. Now it's kind of like, eh. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody's ever going to, nobody's ever going to give heaven a bad Yelp review. <laughs> yeah. So that's. Okay, I, I remember when we talked, when, mm-hmm. when the first time we heard you speak there in, in Cambridge, um, you had stated that um, you should have you should have met me like last year or a few months ago when I actually knew something. So walk, uh, yeah. walk into the, un, the, oh, okay. the unlearning a little bit and, and <laughs> see where we can go with that. I, I, this is why I like to say it. I, I think it was like 10 years ago. You should have met me 10 years ago. Now I would say you should have met me 20 years ago when I, when, I, when I knew way more than I know now. I always, I think we approach God. <laughs> we approach God to try to answer our questions where I think what God does is he's willing to answer some of our questions, maybe. But I think he's more interested in questioning our answers. I think in the Bible, I think people asked Jesus, you know, probably 300 questions, and he clearly answered about two. And the more I come to God with in terms of questions, the more he'll like, he'll take my question, he'll answer my question, but in the answer, there's two new questions. So I walk away with some some new information, new revelation, but a whole bunch more questions than I had before. And the list of questions has just exponentially grown at the same time, the list uh, or the, the place of rest in my heart or relief in my heart has actually grown as well. So I'm okay with not understanding everything. I'm okay with not knowing everything. Um, yeah. I, I become very, familiar with and and strangely comforted by the answer i don't know that's that's actually hard for christians or or even um ministers to to state oh i don't know is it because we we've put ministers and we put um Christians, you you follow Christian. I mean, Ronnie last last um, episode was talking about how he had a very atheistic point of view of the world, um, and he would always want to get an answer. I need an answer. Give me an answer. And and he said that everyone he talked to, every Christian would would say, "Oh, that's a great great thing. I should talk. I'll talk to my pastor about that." And then never get back to him. So just. I guess it might also be just the where we live, what the 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 mindset of the world right now is you either you're either for something or you're against something. There is no neutral ground. There is right. you're you're either it I hate to touch politics, you're either hard right or you're hard left. There's no middle ground. There's you're either you're either a Christian yeah. or you're not a Christian. There's 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 no well, you believe the way I do or not. Uh, unfortunately, we see um, that conflict with different denominations of Christianity when the majority mm-hmm. of our theology is the same. Major the- major portion of that theology is the same. It's the little things, how, how, how you present yourself, how, um, how you, who do you talk to, all those things all become dividers – and the main reason that we separate into our own little sects of Christianity, and it's and it's sad because I've I personally I've had this going and going in my head is like we're the family we're the family we need to work together if if I I, I got to go oh uh, to, uh, oh sheesh three or four years ago we had an event here in Dayton called Love Dayton um, we had about fifty churches all different kinds of churches, all different kinds of denominations getting together and um, going out and 
reaching out to the community. We went and cleaned, cleaned, um, cleaned up the streets, um, mowed people's lawns, handed out food, mm-hmm. invited people to a service at the convention center that evening. I think we had it was over a weekend. We had two or three evening services, and we got so much um, positive feedback that the mayor of Dayton said, hey, I'm declaring this date Love Dayton Day. And and that was something that seeing from a higher level, if, you, if we were to work together as we're supposed to be the body, each of us have our own our own um, special bits that we understand we under I can't for instance I haven't been a good speaker in some things but Bill definitely Theus definitely can go in and explain things a lot better than me I get to play the piano uh, Bill you have stated several times that that um, when you you've got to see me play it was it wasn't a Oh dang! I wish I could play. How did how did you explain that? Yeah, well, the same the same spirit, Holy Spirit, that empowers you to do what He's called you to do, empowers me to do what He's called me to do. And so, when I watch you putting that grace, that gift on display, and watching Him shine through you in the unique filter and lens that He's made for you to be, I realize, wait a minute, we're one. So I'm just like, man, I, I'm I'm just watching that. There's no jealousy. There's no competition. There's only a sense of adoration of the Lord and an admiration of what he's actually put in you that you've developed over, over the course of time. And I'm inspired by that. I'm not, I'm not, I, I think that's one of the ways we demonstrate our unity is, uh, is by seeing the, the same Holy spirit empowers you empowers me, but he shines through you differently. And, and I'm not jealous of that. I'm actually, I'm actually, it's almost like I'm ministering to myself. You know, when I sit there and let you minister to me, I'm ministering to myself. I'm being built up in my spirit because I'm watching your your gift shine. Yeah, because we're one. Yeah. Yeah. To get to your point, Joel, about um, kind of like the visions and and things like like being so hard left and harder. I think Bill kind of touched that point in the beginning, where you know it's about faith and understanding, where we kind of put understanding at the kind of like the the top. Mm -hmm. So if it is about understanding, then it's about my understanding versus your understanding. But if it's about faith, then it's just Jesus, you know? It just just seems like we put so-called truth at this highest standard where Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Like that should be the Mm -hmm. end-all, be-all. I think it's it's very slight, but I think that's probably one of the hinge pins of like like unity where we it's about having faith not so-called your understanding of what's going on and, and whatnot and i think uh, when we had the when we went to cambridge with bill i remember um uh him and um, janice 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 yeah that's right yeah and i remember you guys were like you know the holy spirit's like a playground why don't you just explore and usually it's kind of like um, when you think theo- like theology or stuff like, you know, uh, reading the Bible, it's very like, you need to understand this because this is the Bible. But it, the way you guys put it, it was like, you just explore. Like, you can try this thing out. You can try this thing out. You can explore the, you can explore the gifts. You can explore God. Like, it's not, it's, it's not kind of like if you do this wrong then it's terrible i I forget which verse it is it's like it's the glory of god to conceal a matter but it's the glory of kings to reveal it i think it's somewhere in psalms or Mm. proverbs or something but like it's it's a journey it's it's Mm -hmm. exploration it's not you exploring terribly it's not like bad but you're getting to explore god it's a journey it's a it's a it's a place where we get to explore god and enjoy um, his peace his love you know. Wow. So good. I love the way you put that. Bill, how um how can people get a hold of you? Well they go to they go to the website, billvanderbush.com, and that's kind of a base for all the links, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, all the typical social media outlets. Um, we're very active on all of those recently. 
we just began an, uh, an online forum called Reformation 1420. And it's based on a verse out of John 1420, where Jesus says, In that day you'll know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. It's our radical union with Christ. And, um, and so Reformation 1420 is the online group. We've made it an open group. It's a private group, but it's open for anybody who wants to join. They're welcome to join it. And so we have hundreds of people that are part of it. And every single day, there's somebody that's, that's part of our leadership team in the group that puts a video out or a post out about our union with Christ. And we're just uh, inviting people into a conversation, an ongoing conversation about that. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of the core of everything that I talk about. There's um, the book uh, Reckless Grace has been released, re-released through Broad Street Publishing with a study guide. I'm really excited about that. And that's doing incredibly well. Uh, a lot of great feedback from that. There's all kinds of uh, resources that are available on the website, BillVanderbush.com. There's a weekly podcast that I do. Um, we're heavily on God TV a bunch. Uh, we do a little, little daily thing uh, with them called God Today. Uh, uh, what else are we doing? I don't know. We travel and speak a ton, uh, a little less right now, just because things are locking back down again. So we were back on the road for a little while. But matter of fact, this is the first day, full day I've been home in like a month. So um, wow, <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been a been a wild wild month, and thank God I've you know. Dodged the virus everywhere so far. I'm super happy about that. Um, but <laughs> I feel like you know. I feel like we're you know we're in a time where, uh, where you know you mentioned you mentioned politics. We're really in a strange time right now, and I think it's important to mention this since you know uh, it, the nature of your audience is is probably going to be uh, maybe even a little bit younger than than a lot of the crowd that I've been in front of in the last month. But um, we're in the we're in a we're in a really odd time right now where, uh, let's say the election results stand as they are at the time of this this airing, and if that's the case, then the prophetic community is in a really awkward position. And I would say there's a lot of millennials that have actually tuned out the prophetic community or those who claim to have ministries that like move through the supernatural, and they're starting to be a little bit more. Um, scrutinize a little bit more. They're not taking things at face value. You can record everything. You can find everything online. They're looking for proof of, uh, of uh, claims and things like that. And uh, I know a lot of, a lot of prophetic uh, folks are walking back, you know, prophecies about, you know, how this election was going to go down and that it didn't prophetic folks are walking back prophecies about the, the, the virus and stuff and, and how that was going to go down. It's interesting to me because uh, I had a lot of prophetic friends and none of them, I mean, including myself and none of them saw this virus thing coming at all. Um, and, uh, and yet I, I think in all of this, the only way forward is humility. And when asking the Lord, like what's, what's going on in this world and yeah. this season in this time, with the virus and with politics, I kept feeling the Lord saying, elevate the conversation, seek first the kingdom. And so there's always, you know, a radical right and radical left. Well, there's a third posture and it's the posture of the kingdom of God. And that to me is like, it's never stopped being the priority, no matter what's going on in a nation, no matter what's going on on a national level. Yeah. It, the things on a national level should be a point of prayer, should be a point of, uh, uh, of, uh, definitely a point of um, we shouldn't put our head in the sand on certain things and whatnot, but to get locked up into conspiracy theories is a waste of time. Why do I know this? Because yeah. of conspiracies that were true that were going on in the days of Jesus. And when he opened his mouth to speak, the guy who knew everything said the kingdom is like, and that's important. When I realized that the guy who knows everything, including all the junk going on behind the scenes, religiously and politically, when he gets up and speaks and says the kingdom is like, he's directing our attention to elevate the conversation above things in the lower nature, yeah. where we begin to wrestle against flesh and blood, Republican and Democrat, whatever, all this stuff. And it's not that we don't act, we, we abdicate our responsibilities as Americans, but our citizenship first and foremost is the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter whether it's... Um, whether a nation is a democracy, a socialism, communism, theocracy, whatever it happens to be, yeah. doesn't matter what the national setup is on a human man-made level. When it comes down to it, every single nation, eventually, 
every nation will give up its power to the supremacy of King Jesus once and for all. Come on. That's the Come deal. On. The gospel is the invitation yeah. to every other supremacy, every other supremacy. I'm talking like national supremacy, yeah. racial supremacy, gender supremacy, yeah. religious supremacy, denominational supremacy, spiritual yeah. supremacy, mm-hmm. intellectual supremacy. Every supremacy will eventually bow to Christ Jesus, King Supreme, Lord of all. He will be the great equalizer. That actually brings us into a place of unity. But even before that happens, and this is the challenge I have for the body of Christ, and I feel like very, 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 very few right now are catching this. I really want, I want everybody to hear and weigh this, catch what I'm saying here. But the challenge to everybody at this point right now is the same as it's been for the last 2,000 years. 2,000 years ago in John 17, Jesus prayed a prayer. He said, Father, the glory that you give me, I give to them that they may be one, just like we are one. I and you, you and me, and I and them perfected in unity that the world may know that you sent me and love them just like you love me. And Jesus Christ prayed for our unity. Jesus prayed for our unity, but then he put it in our hands to actually come to a place of surrender, to love one another as I have loved you. The father is not going to control our love of one another. That is a purposeful, intentional choice. The Father is not going to control our unity with one another. That is a purposeful, intentional choice that can only come out about through love, grace, uh, uh, the, the kingdom of God being preeminent, the joy of the Lord propelling us, the peace of Christ going forward before us. That's an intentional response to come into agreement with his heart. It's not a supernatural. We're not waiting for a miracle of unity to happen. It's a point of obedience and surrender. That's it. And I think for 2,000 years, Jesus has been watching humanity see, see whether or not he's going to get what he prayed for. And uh, there's got to be a generation that does it. You say, well, Bill, what about people that believe wrong or different or whatever? I'm like, whoa, time out. Um, Jesus didn't have a... Um, he didn't have a priority of fixing everybody's theology when he was here on earth. That wasn't the point. He didn't go around fixing everybody's theology. He pointed people yeah. to the father. Mm-hmm. That was it. Even the disciples had theological issues when he ascended, yeah. but he pointed people to the father and, and brought people to a place where they were stripped of everything except for surrendered to his voice. And I think when we, when we realize he is the center of our unity we can believe a whole lot of different things. I, I got friends that I disagree with, don't believe in the things of the Holy Spirit, or don't believe that healing is for the day, or don't believe in the gifts of tongues or prophecy. Um, they, they like certain parts of the Bible more than others and different ones. We have different emphasis and whatever. When it comes to Jesus, there we're agreed. That's it. In Christ and Christ alone, we find our agreement. And so unity is not uniformity. It's not what we agree on everything, but yeah. it's what we agree on the one thing that matters the most, and that's Christ. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what I believe right now we need so badly because we're in a place where I'm hearing Christian leaders call for civil war against somebody of a yeah, opposing political right. party. And I'm just going to let me yeah. just say on record, that's wrong. It's demonic. Absolutely mm-hmm. demonic. Yeah, absolutely. My God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, and, and this has got to be a point, too, for the body of Christ, too. Just because some, somebody's anointed doesn't mean that they can't be confronted. David was yeah. anointed as king over Israel. He was, he was anointed to be king. He had the position, the royalty, and the anointing of God. But when he was wrong, he was wrong, and he was still confrontable. And if you can be corrected, you can be trusted. And so, you know, I welcome anybody to speak a word of correction or confrontation into my life, and I'll weigh it, and I'll look at it, and I'll see whether or not there's merit to it. And if it hasn't, then I'll repent and we'll actually have a strong relationship as a result of it. And that has happened. That's why I have spiritual fathers and mothers in my life. But, um, but right now, we've got this idea that when somebody's anointed for something, they can't be confronted. I think the prophetic community got there. Prophets couldn't be confronted. I think uh, even political leaders got to the point where even if they were anointed to be in power, they couldn't be confronted. And so um, that, that, that's a dangerous place. When we forget that we're just people, yeah, you know, uh, made in the image of God, filled with His Spirit, and anointed to move forward, yet still empowered with a will to actually choose to say no to the purposes of God in any given moment. So we can all go wrong if we, if we choose to, 
And then God gives us the freedom to do that, but also the accountability, the necessity to be so united in community that we're accountable to one another when we do that. And it doesn't matter if it's a prophet, a pastor, a mega church, or president of the United States. When somebody's wrong, they're wrong. And, and confrontation is necessary. Correction is necessary for all of us. And the ability to receive correction is the humility that actually will propel us forward. And, uh, and, and when, um, when I look at the, the state of things right now, I feel like if we don't get this message, we are headed toward a conflict that will, uh, um, that'll be more devastating than any of us can imagine. And I'm, I'm praying that that's not the case. I'm praying that the power uh, of, of the love of Christ so compels us that we find ourselves just completely arrested, uh, when it comes to harming, hurting, whether it's in person or online with word or action causing harm toward another. Yeah. No, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. We're to build each other up, to edify, yeah. to strengthen each other. And so I'm really calling for the body of Christ right now to, to, to make that a priority. So I love what you were saying about that. Just 50 churches from around the city. How awesome is that? That's amazing. Yeah, that was How rare. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was a wonderful time, and a lot of wonderful things have come from that, thankfully. Um, Bill, I am I'm hitting the end of my podcast time period, and I'm going to have to close. It's been such a wonderful <laughs> conversation with you and Theus. It was, this was great. Oh, yeah. Bill, we miss you. It's been, it's been uh, so well. I miss you guys, too. It's so good. We miss you guys too. We'll get back up to we'll get back up to your place uh, one of these days, I'm sure. Yep, sounds good. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for joining us here on the Love and Grace podcast. Like, share, um, yeah, share this. I mean, this is this is an important word to get out. Share this. Um, we've got audio podcast and the video as you're seeing. If you're not, if you're just listening, we have a video podcast on YouTube as well. Look for us, Love and Grace Podcast. Guys, you have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us and go and be a wonderful person. Mm-hmm.